Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The Akedah, or the binding of Isaac, found in Genesis 22, is the Torah portion that most people relate with Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Though Isaac is the one who is bound, the story is referred to as a test of Abraham. Reference to this story, this biblical story, appears throughout the Rosh Hashanah liturgy. Even the shofar ram's horn blown on the holiday is said to be a reminder of the Akedah and how Isaac was spared. Though the story itself is quite troubling, it does contain a message of hope for Rosh Hashanah. In the liturgy, we ask God to remember us for life. The binding of Isaac concludes with his life being spared, and he too is remembered for life. Abraham's devotion results in hope for life. Now, it should be noted that this entire chapter is the traditional reading for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, as traditional Jews observe two days of Rosh Hashanah outside of the land of Israel. And in most reform congregations, this Torah portion, Genesis 22, 1 through 18, is read on the first day. I want to read these 18 verses to you and then chat about it. Because Rosh Hashanah, which has just been observed this year, is, of course, focused on the themes of the Akedah. So let me share the entire Torah portion with you. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, he answered, Hineni, here I am. And God said, take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights, which while I point out to you. So early next morning, Abraham saddled his donkey and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering and he set it out for the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go up there and we will worship and we will return to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, put it on his son Isaac. He himself took the firestone and knife. The two walked off together. Then Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father. And he answered, yes, my son. And he said, here are the firestone and the wood. But where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said to Isaac, God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked off together. They arrived at the place of which God had told them. 
Abraham built an altar there. He laid out the wood. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son. Then an angel of God called to him from Abraham. Called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He answered, Hineni, here I am. And he said, do not raise your hand against the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your favored one, from me. When Abraham looked up, his eye fell upon a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of the son. The Torah portion concludes in the following way. When Abraham finished his sacrifice, he named the site Adonai Yir'eh. On the Mount of the Lord, there is vision. The angel, a Lord, called to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I swear, the Lord declares, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your favored son, you have passed the test and I will bestow my blessing upon you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven and the sands of the seashore. And your descendants shall seize the gates of their foes. All the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by your descendants because you have obeyed me. Abraham then returned to his servants and they departed for Beersheba. Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Each year, we hear this Torah portion read and we struggle with the psychological impact and the personal ethics of the story. How could a father do such a thing? What did Isaac feel? What did Abraham feel? What did Sarah, wife and mother, feel? What did God feel? And what did the ram feel? Often, we discuss these issues as synagogue or a family therapy workshop. We take up the story as if it were a vignette in a modern novel, and that its point is to give us insight into the human psyche. We are often revolted by the thought of a father who even contemplates sacrificing his son. In our struggle with the text, we turn the plain meaning of the story on its head. We claim that Abraham, in fact, failed the test, or that it was Abraham who was testing God, and that God only barely passes when he finally sends an angel to stay Abraham's hand. All over the world, non-traditional congregations take a similar approach. And indeed, critical approaches to this story have been in vogue since at least the middle of the 19th century. But the story of the Akedah, the story of the binding of Isaac, is not part of a modern novel concerned primarily with individual characters. And though it is has strong psychological motif, 
this story is not primarily a psychodrama. Rather, it is a mythic morality tale designed by its authors to instruct future generations. So, this morning, on this show, let us take a few moments to look at the plain message of the story. The one that has been the normative interpretation of this text for most of Jewish history, and let us see if these classic interpretations can still have meaning and lessons for us today. I've already quoted the Torah portion to you, but let me go back to the ending. God's messenger called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I swear, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and will make your seed many like the stars of the heavens and like the sands on the shore of the sea. Your seed shall inherit the gate of their enemy and all the nations of the earth shall enjoy blessing because you have hearkened to me. Genesis 22 verses 15 through 19. The moral of the story as conceived by the authors and by the majority of Jewish commentators throughout history is clear. Abraham did a good thing. No, he did an amazingly and uniquely good thing. It is his obedience and loyalty to higher values as personified by God and his willingness to sacrifice his only son for the sake of those values that is being rewarded. It is this act of loyalty to the eternal source of blessing that proves his worthiness as the patriarch of the Jewish people. But you might ask in the privacy of your home, how could he be so cruel? How could he put aside his fatherly love and parental obligations? Classical Jewish commentators were not oblivious to these questions, but for them, it was precisely this putting aside of fatherly love that proved Abraham's greatness in this the most difficult of tests. Abraham, who in the rabbinical imagination is quintessentially identified with the virtue of chesed, kindness, is asked to put aside his kind nature, the nature that ex allowed him to be, be the exemplar of hatnasat orachim, hospitality, and do what is required of him. In Hasidic tradition, the daily shacharit prayers, morning prayers, are prefaced with this meditation. Master of the universe, just as Abraham our father suppressed his compassion for his son to do your will, may your compassion suppress your wrath against us and may your mercy prevail over the strictest attributes of justice. In other words, Abraham suppressed his natural compassion, his natural love for the sake of some greater purpose. And that is right and good. And according to Jewish tradition, he is to be praised for it. And not only is he to be praised for it, but this singular act became the very symbol of Jewish faith and loyalty. It is not coincidence that this story we read on Rosh Hashanah 
when according to tradition, God begins his period of annual judgment. We remind God of Abraham's act of loyalty in order to win for ourselves some merit on account of our ancestors. We remind ourselves of the kind of devotion to principle that is required of a committed Jew. The medieval Spanish-Jewish philosopher Abravanel writes in his commentary on Genesis, the binding of Isaac is forever on our lips and in our prayers, for in it lies the entire strength of Israel and their merit before their heavenly God. The traditional message is crystal clear. There are indeed values worth sacrificing for, and some values are worth dying for. And some values are worth even more than that. They are worth endangering and even sacrificing our children for. And it is precisely our ability to sacrifice for higher values that makes us worthy and allows us to survive as a people. Whether we in the modern 21st century are comfortable with this message or not, it is clearly how a great many traditional Jewish authorities viewed the matter. To sharpen the matter even more clearly, let us look at the story of Hannah and her seven sons, as told in the second book of Maccabees. Hannah martyrs all seven of her sons rather than have them compromise her faith. As her last son is about to die, she tells him, Go now to Abraham, your father, and tell him that I bettered his instructions. He offered one child to God. I have offered seven. During the Crusades of the Middle Ages, when rampaging Christians on their way to the, redeem the Holy Land from Islam, slaughtered thousands of Jews and destroyed a myriad of Jewish villages. And despite halachic rulings to the contrary, many Jews killed their own children before taking their own lives rather than undergo forced baptisms. The story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, and the image of Hannah were on their lips and on their minds as they took their children's lives. Their acts have become part of Jewish mythology and are remembered and even glorified in the Yom Kippur martyrology service. And let us not imagine that it is all just an ancient, outmated, cultic attitude. The Hertz commentary on the five books of Moses published in 1936 on the eve of the Holocaust, praises at length and without mincing words the central message of the Akedah. In his commentary on chapter 22 of Genesis, Rabbi Hertz writes, Many today have no understanding of martyrdom. They fail to see that it represents the highest moral triumph of humanity unwavering steadfast to principle, even at the cost of life. He goes on to quote the great 19th century Hebrew poet Yehuda Leib Gordon, 
We have sacrificed all. We have given our wealth, our homes, our honors, our land, our health, our lives, like Hannah, our children, seven for the sake of Torah that came down from heaven. Martyrdom is an ideal inspired by the Akedah, claims Hertz later in the same commentary. We might wonder today, is this madness? Or is it the necessary level of commitment to a worthy cause? Is there perhaps a direct line from the story of the Akedah to the Jewish settler families in Haron? who deliberately put their children in the line of fire in order to be loyal to what is for them the higher principle of the sanctity of the land of Israel? Is there a direct line from the story of the Akedah through its retelling in the Quran to the willingness of some Palestinian parents to have their children in the front line of rock throwers facing armed Israeli troops? And are people who are so committed to their ideals that they die for them and have their children die for them too, not just a hair's breadth away from being willing to kill others for those same ideals? Is there perhaps a torturous and circuitous link between the story and the World Trade Center? Maybe there is. But modern Jews seek an alternative approach. Mordechai Kaplan, one of the great 20th century philosophers and the founder of the Reconstructionist School of Jewish Thought and Practice, wrote, the past has a vote, but not a veto. He wrote, we are obligated to study the tradition and to glean from it what we can before we discard it out of hand. Moreover, we have an option, even the preferred option, of neither accepting the given tradition whole or rejecting it whole. We are called to examine and adapt it, to learn and extract the essence from the traditional form. And so with regard to the Akedah, is there an essence worth saving? Rabbi Hertz, again, is worthy of quoting. Those who are blind to martyrdom, to unconquerable courage and endurance, naturally display hostility to the whole idea of the Akedah and its place and association in Jewish thought. Only a mullah, a pagan, requires human sacrifice, they scoff. But in all human history, is there not a single noble cause, movement, or achievement that did not call for sacrifice or even sometimes the sacrifice of life itself. Science, he writes, liberty, he writes, humanity, all took their toll. And also let me quote from Rabbi Leib Yanover in his book, The Akedah. What does God say to Abraham after it was all over, he asks. He writes, God said, because you obeyed me and not withheld your son, I will multiply your descendants. He writes, just as circumcision symbolically injuring the organ of generation carries with a promise of fertility, 
And just as tithing, giving away our hard-earned produce and money brings a promise of prosperity, so too risking one's progeny for God's sake brings a reward of numerous successful descendants. The social impact of these values cannot be overestimated. This willingness to risk and give up what is dear is the highest expression of society's cultivation of care and loyalty among neighbors. It is as close as society can get to offering a guarantee of personal immortality. In every society, there are principles for which one must be prepared to make a supreme sacrifice. In such circumstances, acting to demonstrate that one may offer their life to the future is proof that societal values matter. We are asked to affirm that it is good and right at times to give up something precious for the sake of the future. The 20th century French philosopher Camus said, real generosity consists in giving all to the future. And Rabbi Yanover continues, for our generation, the most troubling feature in the Akedah is that Abraham does not offer his own life, but Isaac's. Can one make a decision to sacrifice for another? Classical texts suggest that we do this all the time. Whether we see our decisions as little murders or not, they are profound in their impact. The binding of Isaac is every choice we make from the decision to raise our children as part of the covenant to the casual words we speak about one another. We may choose not to see the knife in our hand, but we know its descent in a thousand ways, writes Rabbi Yanober. In this context, we need to see sacrifice not just as physical martyrdom, the giving of a life, but all the little things we are urged to forego for the sake of Jewish continuity. The parents who consciously urge their children to go to religious school on the weekend rather than play with their friends are sacrificing values and forcing their children to do so as well. The parents who forego a new car and vacation to pay for their children's education, whether by ways of tutor or in a private school or at university, are sacrificing for these values, and no doubt making demands on their children as well. The adult child who spends hours caring for an aged parent, sometimes at the cost of career development and leisure time, is sacrificing for these values. The person who gives up their time and their money to help the poor is sacrificing these values. And both these people are depriving their own children of that very time and money now diverted to greater transcendent causes. And even the university student who misses classes to go to Rosh Hashanah services and hear this story is sacrificing for these values. Communal identification and values which help us transcend our normal, narrow individual lives are sometimes worth sacrificing our narrow individual interests for us.
the Akedah speaks to the necessity of billing, of being willing to sacrifice for values we hold dear. It speaks to the necessity of risking or at least coercing our children to follow in our footsteps. The Akedah tells us that some values that are worth sacrificing for us, but does not tell us exactly what these are. How do we ever know when God is speaking to us and when it's just our fears or insecurities and inner demons that we hear? The Akedah tells us that some sacrifices are necessary, but that others are clearly inappropriate. How do we know? The Akedah suggests that there is a difference between sacrificing something of yourself and sacrificing something of others. How much of our own values can we force upon our children? The Akedah, the essence of the Torah reading on Rosh Hashanah. Is it the story, the model of all subsequent religious-inspired fanaticism? Or is it the model for the formation and survival of any human community that wishes to transmit its values from one generation to the next? For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, and I urge you to read the Akedah. In light of those words which I've shared with you this morning, from, and pursue it from your own tradition. You can hear a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. I wish you shalom and a good day. Shalom, 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 shalom